God is so good. Uh, and I just feel his blessing. Do you, you guys feel his blessing this morning? And just his presence. Uh, I just think he's with us and wants to minister to us today. So um, let's, let's open our Bibles up to Galatians chapter 3. We're going to continue where we left off just uh, last week. And we've been walking through Galatians. And we've just experienced the favor of God in this book. I, I love this letter. Um, and, and I'm going to just make a, uh, I'll show you guys something. I, I hadn't preached from this Bible in a while. This is one that I bought when I first uh, started pastoring. And I wanted a Bible that was clear for me to see, to preach out of. And, and look at this. <laughs> this chapter is very marked up in, my, in this Bible. And so I realized, in fact, I hadn't even used this Bible in my sermon prep. I just grabbed it because I like how big the print is. And... Uh, and I opened up this morning, and I was like, whoa, I preached this, and I've underlined it, and, um, and, and, and this, this is a chapter that has impacted me personally on more than one occasion as I've read through it. And as God does with all of the scriptures, um, he uses his word to mold our hearts. So I'm really excited to jump into this part of the text with you. We're going to focus on verses 15 through 22 today, and then uh, we will close out the chapter um, and, uh, and, uh, and next week as we deal with verses 23 through 29. We may even get a little bit into chapter 4. But this morning, as, as we're getting ourselves there into the chapter, I want to uh, I want to bring our attention to something. Uh, I am personally party to uh, several contracts in this world. Anybody else feeling that? You, you've got contracts that you've signed, things that, that you're involved with. Well, one very specific one that comes to my mind is, you know, I'm married, right? Uh, and, and whenever we are married, we are entering into a covenant with God and with our spouse. And we say things like, I will love and cherish you forever, even if your breath smells bad, uh, even if, you know, you, you, even if you are grumpy and even if you're, you're, you're frustrating me, I will still love you in the midst of all those things, right? We, we say things like that. Um, and, and I, I remember, you know, I specifically said to my wife that I would love her, honor her, cherish her in sickness and health, all those things, right? We, the, all those, those points of the contract. And then we put these rings on each other's fingers and said, hey, it's like a circle that never breaks. So it's, this thing is for life. Now, what if I walked into my wife one day and I said, you know, sweetheart, it's been great being married to you. And um, I mean, I think I want to keep being married to you, but I want to alter the contract a little bit. Like, I don't really want to be around you when you're sick, you know, or I don't really want to be around you when you're grumpy, <laughs> Or when you're having a bad day. I just want the good days. What, what if I said, uh, you know, this is a great contract, but I'd like to alter this contract a little bit. Now, how do you think that would fly? Wouldn't fly too well. And I'm sure she'd have plenty of things that she'd look at me and say, I I'd love to alter the contract here and here and here. Uh, another, another one that came to my mind is um, when, when we bought our house, we signed a novel's worth of papers with the mortgage company. And one of those things said, hey, I'm going to pay my payment every month by a certain date. Now, what do you think, how do you think the mortgage company would respond if I 
called them and said, hey, listen, I love the house, but I'd really like to alter the deal a little bit. I want to alter the contract. I'd like to pay my payment only every other month, but I still want the same credit. How do you think that would fly? I would be calling some of you asking if you have some extra rooms, you know, because pretty soon the bank's going to say, you know, uh, it's a great idea and everything, but uh, that's going to be our house. <laughs> it's, you see, Paul gives us an example that we can all understand. And in fact, right there in verse 15, he says, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds anything to it once it's ratified. Okay, so we've been talking about law and grace this whole time. But remember, the emphasis here has been, Paul said, hey, remember the promise of God came by faith. The promise of God didn't come through the law. And I, I mean, he's about to just blow our minds a little bit here, because it Every time I read it, I do the same thing. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Seriously, every time I read this passage, it just I have that same, that same experience where I'm just like, wow, how incredible is this? But Paul wants to remind us of the power of a promise, the power of a covenant, particularly when it is the Father who is the one who has ratified the covenant rather than us. God is faithful. Do we believe that God is faithful? The title of today's sermon is a, a, a phrase that I used a, a few weeks ago. I think back in chapter 2 maybe. I don't know. But it's faith in his faithfulness. Let's just go ahead and read our passage this morning. Verses 15 through 22. To give a human example, brothers, even... With a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. Let's go ahead and make a note that that is not plural. The usage of this is singular. Okay, promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say into his offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring. And now Paul is going to define this for us. Who is Christ? When God told Abraham in Genesis that I will make a promise to you and to your offspring, or some translations use descendant, what Paul is, is telling us here is way back there. When God said, I will bless you, I will bring about through you a people who are full of the Spirit, who God also said through the law, whose word is written on their hearts, or whose God's word is written on their hearts, right? Uh, that is a promise made to Abraham, but ultimately to Christ through Abraham. That's important. This is what I meant, or this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it, is no, then it, no, longer comes, uh, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. 
Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Can we just praise God for his word right now? Can we give God a hand and praise him for his word? Thank you, Lord. Father, we want to we wanna thank you. We're so, um, we're just so, God, we're so enamored with your kindness and with who you are. God, we, we uh, these words even just blow our minds because, I mean, the fact that you would approach us, the fact that you would make a promise to a human and then ultimately to send your son as a human to deliver on that promise, Lord, it just is amazing. And Father, we pray that you would take this word and do what only you can do, God, implant it into our hearts, weave it into our souls, so, Lord, that we can know you more, so that we can participate in your grace, so that we can call other people back to you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to make a few observations out of this passage that I think will be helpful for us. So first, let's, let's just look at the nature of God's faithful promise in verses 15 through 18. Because there, there are a few things Paul tells us. One is, is that he made, God made a promise to Abraham that wasn't based on Abraham's obedience. That's a really important key. He gave the promise before Abraham ever took the covenant of circumcision. You know that? Isn't that amazing? We often act like God responds to our actions. But actually, God delivered this promise before he, Abraham ever really followed through with, I mean, he had done a few things, but it's not like God was responding to Abraham's actions. God was giving him a promise that Abraham believed by faith. And, and, and Paul had told us that much in the, in the past chapter. He said Abraham, you know, he believed God. He was a man of faith. And in fact, he tells us, Paul told us, uh, the righteous person will live by faith. So we see a pattern of righteousness in Abraham who believed God, and then he followed through. Ab Abraham was faithful because he had faith in God's faithfulness, right? He was believing that God was faithful. If God says, I'm going to do this, God's going to do it. And Abraham knew that was true. And so what, what he said is, he says, I know God is faithful. And so I am going to follow through on my part because God is good and he's going to, he's going to do what he said. So Abraham submitted to the covenant of, circ of circumcision. So Abraham followed God to and fro because he believed that God was faithful. Abraham's obedience came out of his faith. That's, that's important for us to recognize. His obedience came out of of his faith. God's promise wasn't a response to his obedience, but the promise produced obedience in Abraham by 
transforming his heart in faith. Paul wants us to notice that God's promise didn't depend upon Abraham's faithfulness. It was dependent upon God's own faithfulness that God would bring it about. That's why Paul says here that God himself was the one who ratified the promise. I feel, like, I feel it's important for us to stop here for a minute because I think oftentimes we get into this mindset that God makes a promise, but then our actions ratify it. And, and, and so we, we strive to sort of prove ourselves to God. But that is not the picture that's being painted here. The picture that's being painted here is a God who ratifies the promise himself Right? Now we know that he's done so by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? He ratifies the promise himself. It's his own faithfulness to carry it about, and he has done so in every way. So, being a good little Christian boy or girl doesn't get you more favor or merit with God. You have all the favor or merit you could ever have right now before the Father because of Jesus. but then our obedience follows out of that because we trust him, we believe in him, and our hearts are transformed. You don't have to prove yourself to God because God is going to prove you in Christ. Now that's pretty cool. Like that's something we can hang our hat on. And, and I'm going to tell you, I need to know that. And you know why? Because this next week, I'm going to blow it more than once. It's going to happen. Uh, it's not because I plan to mess up. It's that I, I don't have what it takes. And remember what we talked about last week? No matter how hard you try, you can never have what it takes to build, to build out the structure that God is trying to build of your life. It takes a master engineer. And no matter how hard you try, you can never be that. Only God can ever be that. But I know that I'm going to have times next week where I'm going to have to repent before my father. Because I'm going to have messed up or I'm going to have said something that, that wasn't 100% right or I'm going to have thought a thought or been angry or something and the father's going to lovingly come to me and be like, hey, you remember who you are, son. You're my child. And, and, and kids in my family act differently because of who I am and because of who they are in me. See, like, but God is transforming me from the inside out just like he is you. So he, he points out that the law came long after the promise. You had the promise and then the law. So the promise is actually over the law. It was the first thing. Our inheritance from God, our position before him, those things were never intended to be based on law, or in other words, what we can do, what we can produce, how well we can keep the rules. But it was always intended to be based on the promise of God made beforehand to Abraham and to his offspring, which Paul clearly declares to us here, is Christ. A promise is only as strong as the one who guarantees it. Now, we know this in Oklahoma. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you, I was a little kid 
when, uh, when, when things went bad back in the 80s. And I know things also, things often go bad in Oklahoma because we're so dependent upon oil in our economy. And, every, you know, stuff happens. And, and, uh, and it's just a, it's, it's an ebb and flow. It's beautiful when it's going well. And it really is terrible when it's not going well. But, like, I don't remember when the banks busted, you know? I don't remember the oil bust. I don't remember people going broke. I don't remember that. But I read about it in the history books. And we understand, we understand, don't we, in this state, when, when our economy is so tied to this one thing that, listen, the, the promise is only as good as the one who guarantees it. If you have a bank that lies about its funds and doesn't have enough money to pay out, or let's say that has so much funds tied up in the stock market and the stock market crashes and then everybody goes for their money and the money's not there. Well, the promise is only as good as the one who guarantees it. Thankfully for us, God has infinitely more grace stored up in his bank than we could ever imagine because of the faithfulness of Jesus. So it's not like you have your own little savings account over here that every time you do a good deed, God's like, all right, there's, there's, there's a penny here, a nickel there. But that's how sometimes we think. And that like when I mess up, it's okay because I'm building up my righteousness over here and God just pulls a little bit out of there. No, that's not it at all. Actually, the only thing you'd ever be doing is going more in the hole because we, as the word says, if you've broken the law, at one point you've broken the entire law, and there's no way to repair that. No amount of doing good can somehow match up to what we've broken. If you would balance the scales, we would be so far up on the wrong side of the scales, there's nothing you could ever do to balance that out in and of yourself. But what Christ has done for us because of the promise and because of what he's done, is he, he has, he has gotten an infinite amount of grace for us that will cover all things so that our scales are always in balance. Not because of what we have done, but because of the faithfulness of Christ on our behalf. If our place with God were based on what we could do for God in keeping the law, we would be in trouble. We'd be in a lot of trouble. If I were relying on myself rather than the Holy Spirit, I'd be in a lot of trouble. We need someone who can be faithful in our place, and our faith has to rest in Him. So, so then you may ask the question, well, why did God give the law in the first place? If, if the, it's really, it's based on the promise and not based on the law, you know, our righteousness, then why, why did God give the law in the first place? Why, why didn't he just leave us with the promise? And, and why didn't he just say, well, well, you just have faith in the promise. Well, he, he sort of tells us right here in verse 19, he, he says, it's because of transgressions. Why, why were we given the law? Because of transgressions. In other words, because you guys couldn't hold it together. You couldn't hold it together for a, 
1,500 years or whatever, or 2,000 years, whatever it was until Jesus came. In other words, people are so fundamentally broken without the power of God in our lives that we just can't help ourselves but to fall back into sin. And, and, and sure, there are some extraordinary people in history like Abraham and David, and even those guys couldn't hold it together. So much less us, you know what I mean? The average person. Boy, we have a really hard time towing the line without the Spirit. I'll read you a quote by A.W. Tozer that I, I, I listened to a sermon this week. By the way, it's on YouTube. It's called An Everything by Prayer. Man, what a sermon. I'm just saying, if you want to go listen to this thing, it is so good. Somebody has been capturing the sermon audio from Tozer's sermons and putting them on the Internet. And whoever they are, I love them. Okay, but, um, but here's what he said. He said, I don't believe in humanity. I don't believe in the goodness of people unless God helps us. Unless God gets into us, unless we get into the kingdom of God, people are not good by nature. They're bad. But we don't believe that. He said, people don't believe that. And there's man's kingdom filled with the subjects of Satan. It's organized. It's implemented by science. It has it's in its favor history and familiarity and visible success. But it's all of the flesh. And if it's from the flesh, or uh, sorry, it's of the flesh, it's from the flesh, and it's for the flesh, and it's dedicated to the flesh and to the passing world. And we know because of what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 14, 23, that anything that is done apart from faith is no good. It cannot be righteous apart from faith. So if it's done in the flesh, it's no good. So yeah, there are people out there who are doing all kinds of good in the name of humanity, in the name of mankind. And, and, and we may look and say, well, hey, there's a lot of good people out there who aren't Christians. Okay, yeah, they appear to be, as Tozer said, visible success. But we know, because God has revealed it to us, that nothing done apart from faith is actually good. We're actually still rebelling against God, even in our attempts to be good. So, perhaps people could have tried to toe the line, but we would have struggled. And so God gave us the law. Why did he give us the law? Well, because we need to see the yellow lines in order to stay on the road. We didn't have the written word of God on our hearts like the word promises would happen to those in the last days. Which, by the way, I think when the Bible talks about the last days, it's talking about now. But not just now, the time when Jesus ascended to heaven all the way until the end. We're living in the last days. We've been living in the last days. Okay? And, 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 and God says, what's going to happen in the last days? He says, I'm going to write my word on the hearts of your children. Everyone who comes to know Jesus receives the Holy Spirit imparted into our hearts. We receive the Spirit. We are immersed in the, in the Spirit and His power. Our baptism our physical water baptism is a representation of the true baptism of the Spirit that's happening in our hearts, which regenerates us to a place where we have favor with God because of Christ. He renews us, remakes us in the image of Jesus. 
And then our life from that point on to the end is a series of anointings of the Spirit, learning to walk by the Spirit, learning to walk in the Word, to be people whose minds are transformed in Christ, whose hearts are more and more like Jesus. He's sanctifying us so that we look like Jesus. The law was given so that we could see how broken we really are. Can you imagine driving on a highway at night that didn't have any lines and that didn't have those really cool little bump things on the side of the road? So like when you start to veer a little bit, boom, boom, boom. And if you still don't stop at that point, there's a nice road barrier right there to keep you from going on into the other lane. Um, It'd be kind of scary to be driving on a highway at nighttime, with no safety mechanisms around you at all. That's kind of what the law did for us. It gave us some parameters and said, yeah, okay, you're not full of the Spirit yet, but if you have faith, live this way, and it's going to kind of keep you on the straight and narrow. Now, we still at times where we veered off and we struggled and obviously read Judges, you know, read, read some of the times the people of Israel were still unfaithful even after the law, but it kind of kept them from going too far so that God could preserve the people, so he could bring the Christ through the people. And that's what Paul says here. It was, it was there because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And then he would put it in place. or he, he, They put it in place through angels and an intermediary. But ultimately, Christ would bring about the promise in its final form. So, I want to I just point us to something it's the, the kindness of God. How good is it of God that we can rely on Him, trusting in His faithfulness and not in our ability to be faithful? And that's what we're going to get into in the next part, the last part here. Verses, or verse 22. Um, he tells us, but the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There's a lot going on in this one verse. That's why I let this verse be its own section. There is a lot going on here. But let's make a couple observations. Through the law, God has graciously revealed to us how broken we are. Again, because if any of us tried to live according to the law perfectly, what would happen? We wouldn't be able to do it. Remember what the apostles said in in Acts chapter 15? Okay, when when Paul and some of the other uh, uh, apostles who'd been working abroad came back to Jerusalem because there were some who were coming from Jerusalem to the Gentile churches saying, you got to you got to obey the whole law and believe in Jesus. And Paul and Barnabas and all these guys were real upset about this because uh, that is not what the Spirit had revealed, but they needed an official letter from the council in Jerusalem that they could spread about the whole church so they could silence those voices who were deceiving the church. And what the apostles said in their 
uh, to, to the people who are, who are making the defense that they should all keep the law plus believe in Jesus, is they said, listen, brothers, why would we put this added burden onto the believers, something that we and our people haven't even been able to obey? So here's the Jewish apostles who are saying, listen, we haven't even been able to, been able to toe the line with regards to the law. So why are we going to sit here and try to make the Gentile Christians do this when in fact Christ died in order to save them, which actually set them free from the law because he renews our hearts. The apostles understood that and they said, no, rather we believe that we are saved by faith. By faith. And that was the letter they sent. They said, hey, listen, Gentile believers, continue repenting and believing by faith. And they gave him a couple other things. Hey, don't eat, don't eat food that's been strangled or, or don't eat the blood and don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. There are reasons behind that, but I'm not going to preach another sermon. So we'll, we'll just stick with this for now. But they said it's by faith. It's by faith that we are saved. So believe the gospel. Trust the Spirit. And, and, and here we see the call of God towards us is to acknowledge how broken we are before God, how inadequate we are to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps and make ourselves righteous before God. And God in his grace looks at us and he says, I'm not requiring that of you. Do, do you hear that? God in his grace he looks at us, he says, I am not requiring perfection of you, but rather I am perfecting you through Jesus. He does not make us aware of our brokenness in order to crush us, but he makes us aware of our brokenness so that we will know that we can only be restored to life through the promise by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Now, you may be saying, hey, Pastor Nick, uh, it just says by faith in Jesus in most of our translations. Well, the reason I'm saying it's by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus is because uh, today in you know, we, we keep advancing in our abilities with Bible translating. It's really cool. I'm, I'm loving that. Um, but there are people out there who are way smarter than I am who spend a lot of time in the Greek. And there's a particular way that this is tensed. And other places where, where it says, by faith in Christ, where we're starting to realize that actually a better way to translate that would, rather, just, rather than saying by faith in Jesus, it's by the faithfulness of Jesus. But it's not just that we would, you know, we have to trust in that, right? We have to trust that he's faithful. So it is by faith. It's by faith in his faithfulness. We learn to believe in his faithfulness, trusting in what he has done rather than what we can do. And that is transformative. The promise comes by faith in the faithfulness of Christ alone. So, 
that we might receive the promise, all who believe the gospel, all who will turn from our sins, opening up our hands and releasing our past life and receiving the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he lived for you, that he died for you, that he's risen from the dead for you, proving that it's all true. So, church, how do we move forward in the ways of Jesus? We move forward by faith in the faithfulness of Christ. So just to give a couple examples, the world says that you can do anything if you try hard enough. How many hear that? You can be anything. There's a kid's movie called Zootopia, and like that's like the theme of this thing. You can do anything as long as you try hard enough. Put your mind to it. It's like the American dream. That's what the world says. But the Spirit says you can do nothing apart from faith and the faithfulness of Jesus. The world says you must prove yourself, but the Spirit says he will prove you by faith and the faithfulness of Jesus. The world says you have to work hard to be righteous, but the Spirit said you are righteous by faith in the faithfulness of Jesus. Where is your hope, Christian? That is what I'm asking today. It's what the Spirit, I think, is saying through this passage. Where is your hope? Is your hope in what you can accomplish? Or is your hope in what God is doing through you because of the faithful work of Christ who brings about every promise of God for you on your behalf. I've come to a point where I have become convinced that the way for us to grow in our discipleship to Jesus is actually not to grab more onto things, but to release more and to rest in his presence. Sometimes we're so uptight that the Father can't do anything for us or through us. Sometimes we're uptight with the things of God. We're just trying so hard that we, that we just can't, like he can't move in us. We're just tight. We're all tight. And we've got to be loose so that we can move with the flow of what the Spirit is doing in our lives. That's not to say that we're going to be lazy or that we're not going to have discipline. We need to have spiritual discipline. But we need to have discipline out of the promise, like Abraham, his obedience came out of the promise. The promise wasn't a response to his obedience. And we need to know that our obedience to God needs to come out of our faith in Jesus. He's not going to grant us more because we've obeyed. We start with rest, and then we move to work out of rest. Rest in Christ and then work with him. Rest in Christ, work with him. I actually think we're more productive when we do that. Okay. Um, so, so what is God saying to you? you know, I know this. Uh, I know we're all called to live lives of faith and the faithfulness of Jesus. hope I've said that enough times for that to be something we walk away with today. Because I think if you don't remember anything else from this message, I would, I would love to have you remember that I am to live by faith in the faithfulness of Christ on my behalf. 
Only faith in the faithful one and his faithfulness on our behalf can get us where we want to go. And one other really important thing that I'm, I'm going to leave you with as Pastor Dwight comes to, uh, um, to lead us in communion is that your soul can finally rest in Christ when you're at the point where your focus is faith in his faithfulness.